This summer, we've been going through this series called Aha, Wisdom That Works. We're studying through the book of Proverbs and our prayer with the teaching team is that there's been some aha moments for you that things out of the wisdom book, the book of Proverbs, just leap up with some kind of fresh awareness of how to live life a way that God can bless. That's really what wisdom is all about. It's a catalyst to all things good. It takes whatever you put your hands to and makes it better. Wisdom is the, is, is the, is the life-changing agent for everything that we do as a Christ follower. It gives us the ability to see God move in ways that we wouldn't be able to see on our own. When we're wise, we live as a better husband, a better wife, a better son, a better daughter. We become better employees when we apply godly wisdom to our everyday situations. And what's amazing is it's full of promises, full of principles that, that guarantee blessing if we live obediently. You see, God's love is given unconditionally. He loves us all no matter what we do, but he can only bless obedience. And so if you're looking at your life, feeling like there's a lack of blessing, I, I, I challenge you to, to spend some time studying Proverbs because Proverbs is the pathway to living a blessed life. And whether it's in your finances, your relationships, your workplace, there are principles here that just kind of shine a light in some of, our, some of our blind spots. There's some aha moments that we're gonna keep on having this summer. And today, I'm gonna go a little bit of a stereotypical preacher and talk to you about how you can have an aha moment with your finances. Now, turn your neighbor and say, chill out. Like, it's not gonna be, I'm not gonna ask you for money, not gonna make you feel guilty about dropping some money in the offering bucket on your way out. This is about how you can experience the most fulfilled and blessed life because here's, if we're really, really honest, whether we've got a lot of money or we've got a little bit of money, we ask the same questions about our money. And that's, how do I protect what I've got and how do I make more of it? Doesn't matter if we're poor, middle class, or wealthy. We're asking these same questions. How do I protect and preserve what I got and how do I produce more? See, I, I think that, that money, our finances, are the greatest competition for our attention outside of our faith. We are worried that there's going to be more month than there is money. <laughs> and the Bible gives us so many principles on how we can manage our finances in a way where God can bless it. And the secret to all that, the aha moment, the principle to living blessed is living generously. I think what we're going to see today is a light bulb moment where a lot of us got excuses. I intend to be generous. I think we actually all want to be generous. But when we look at it with our math, when we look at it with our reasoning, we don't always see a way that we can meet the needs of other people. We can be generous. We can be charitable and still take care of what's happening at home. But I think what we're going to see here in Proverbs as we study the word today is that when we choose to trust God instead of trust what's in the bank, he does supernaturally more with our sacrificial surrendered money than what we did if we hold on to 100% of it. Jesus speaks very clearly about money. Actually, more often he speaks about heaven or hell. And I think that's because the principle is this. He says in the book of Matthew, and over and over again, he talks about money. He says this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if you were to like print out my 
my bank statement, you'd be underwhelmed by how much money's in there, but you'd be overwhelmed about how much money I spend on cheeseburgers. Like if, if your treasure is where your heart is, then I spend a lot of money on fast food and my, and my Kamado Joe grill. I love to smoke meat. I love to smoke pork butts. And we're going to talk about more of that in just a minute. Actually, it fits in quite nicely today's message. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And when Jesus spoke that, that was a big aha moment for me, that I want my treasure to be near what God treasures. I want my heart to be positioned close to the heart of God. And if there's anything that captures the essence of who our God is and what he's all about, it's generosity. It's being willing to sacrifice. It's being willing to part with stuff, being willing to part with comfort, being willing to part with safety and security and laying it all on the line. It's all about generosity. And I think what happens is a paradox begins to take place. When we begin to live sacrificially, when we begin to live life with an open hand, we see God begin to do something that we didn't really think was possible when we were worrying about everything. You see, I believe that God takes full responsibility for our provisions when we live sacrificially with our possessions. When we live in a state of surrender, that's a place that God begins to take full responsibility for. The book of Psalms says that I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Jesus was telling his followers to stop worrying about money, to stop worrying about what to wear, to stop worrying about what to eat. Do you see the, the birds that are flying around in the air and the, and the flowers that are planted in the field? They don't worry about where their provisions are going to come from because nature, creation knows that God's got it under control. And he says that God loves us so much more than the bird. If you hear nothing else today, know that God loves you more than a bird. <laughs> And in the way he shows that he loves us is providing for us. And we've never seen the righteous forsaken. So how do we begin to trust God with our stuff? How do we get, begin to trust God with our finances? How do we begin to position ourselves in a way that God could bless us more than we could ever comprehend? So in the book of Proverbs chapter 11, in the book of Proverbs as you open up your Bibles, if you don't have it, it's okay. It's going to be on the screens. I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse of how to interpret and how to translate Proverbs into your everyday life. Proverbs is not a book of rules. It's a book of principles. We are given the free will as humans to break the rules of God. We can rebel against the rules of God. We can be disobedient to the rules of God. And we're going to face the consequences for disobedience, but he gives us a free will. God gives us choice. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself or his rules on his people. He wants us to follow him out of loyalty and devotion. But when it comes to the principles of God, my mentor always told me this, we will always break ourselves against them. We can break the rules of God, but we break ourselves against the principles of God because what we're about to read in the book of Proverbs is true whether we agree with it or not. It's true whether we've wrapped our lives around this truth or not. The book of Proverbs is full of principles that if we use them as our navigational beacons, we will discover the path to living a truly blessed life. Proverbs chapter 11 says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another one withholds what he should and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. Now, I think all of us probably agree with that. We've heard the statement, I'm blessed to be a blessing. 
I want to bless others because I've been blessed. But so often in our Western context, we've connected blessing to possession. We've connected blessing to material things. And so what happens is when our material things are running short, we assume our blessings are also running short. And if you notice here, there's no net worth qualification that it says that we have to achieve in order to live generously. So I don't think our generosity problem is a budget problem. I think our generosity problem is a belief problem because we think that the person that signs our check is the one who's paying the bills. But what we have to, what we have to take a step back is realize that every good and perfect gift comes from God. He's the one that is meeting our needs and we don't own anything that we've got. So whether we've got a little or whether we've got a lot, we can trust God with it all because it all came from him. Our stuff is not our own. We are not called to be owners of our resources. We're called to be stewards. That means we're managing it. And if we're gonna manage something that God has entrusted into us, our time, our talent, our treasure, all these are valuable resources. And if we're gonna manage them in a godly way, why not manage them with generosity, with trust that he's in control of it all and he's not gonna to give to us in a stingy way. God holds nothing back. So maybe it's not a budget problem. Maybe it's a, a belief problem. Maybe it's a math problem. Well, I don't know if I give up this, I don't know that I'll be able to pay for that. Hey, that's called living by faith. That is who we are called to be. That's the point of a sacrifice is to, to go without something in the moment, to go without a want now to meet the need of somebody else. And I just want to go and throw this out there. If you've ever been on a mission trip, every uh, first week of April, every year, I've got a tradition with the teenagers of Mountain Lake. We took about 30 of them down to Jamaica to go work in the interior of the island. To, to, to help out some church plants, to help out some mission work, to help out with some medical initiatives that are going on there. And I can tell you, everyone goes down there thinking they're gonna be blessed. Everyone goes down there thinking how, how, how we're gonna help, how we're gonna be generous, how we're gonna give of ourselves, we're gonna use our spring break to help all these people. But we always come back so much more enriched than we could have thought possible. That's why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So let's kind of pick apart this verse for the next few minutes and see what it means to us in our Western, comfortable Bible Belt theology. And let's see if we begin to divorce ourselves from our stuff and understand that that's all it really is. It's just stuff. When you dive into this verse, it says that there's one who doesn't give what he knows he should and he suffers want. Now, I want you to think about what he's saying here. It doesn't say you're going to be cursed if you don't give. It just says that if you feel that nudge to maybe buy somebody's Starbucks in line behind you, if you feel that nudge to maybe write a check to a local charity, if you feel that nudge to maybe drop something in the offering bucket and you don't, what's happening here is you're actually positioning yourself to be totally disappointed with what you're holding on to. What we're gonna see if we don't live generously is this revolving door is our stuff is never enough. We think if I get this promotion and make this certain amount of money, then I'll be comfortable enough to start giving. If I make enough money, I can start buying myself nicer clothes. My friends know me by my, my favorite fashion designer. His name's Ross. Everything's got a great good deal there. <laughs> see, here's the thing. 
If we really believe that it all belongs to God, then it doesn't matter if we've got a little or we've got a lot. We can live with an open hand. The Bible says here, if we, when we give freely, we grow all the richer. And I don't think it's specifically talking about a monetary blessing. That's not a guarantee of scripture, but there's something that comes. The abundance that Jesus was talking about when he says, I came to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. When they're talking about wealth, when they're talking about flourishing, it's something that is a lot bigger, something a lot more fulfilling than any bank account could ever produce in your life. It's living under the umbrella of God's blessing and God's authority. It's living in the peace of knowing that whether I do great this quarter or whether I do poor this quarter, God's got it and I'm gonna be better than okay. Some other things I see in this verse is, <laughs> this is kind of the tough thing. It's the principle of the harvest. You reap what you sow. If you've ever been on a farm, you know that if you plant just a few seeds, you're gonna see just a few crops. See, it says, it says here, it says that whoever brings blessing will be enriched and whoever waters will himself be watered. You see, I think God tends to deal with us similarly in the ways that we deal with other people. God responds to our requests in similar ways that we respond to the requests of those around us. You see, when you study church history, the things that caused multiple growth, the thing that caused exponential growth wasn't their amazing services there in the church of Jerusalem. See, there's, there's only really one thing that can produce the amount of life change in a place like ancient day Jerusalem where their belief system was becoming outlawed and they were being imprisoned, yet they were growing by thousands daily. They think the early church could have maybe hit 100,000 people. And, it, and what we see was the most true thing Bigger than their preaching, bigger than their Bible study was the way the early church would sell their possessions to raise money to meet the needs of people inside the church, the family of God. And what was happening is people on the outside were looking at the way they loved one another, the way they were generous with one another, and they thought, man, my own flesh and blood doesn't even love me like that. Jesus must be real. I told you earlier that I've got this Kamado Joe, and for those of you who don't know what a Kamado Joe is, it's what a big green egg wishes it could be. <laughs> now, I will say this, Ryan and Savannah, who are student ministry directors, if you have a kid uh, going into sixth grade all the way through 12th grade, then you probably made it to a parent meeting they had at their house the other day. And they spent like 12 hours the day before smoking some Boston butts. They had some really nice, just fall apart, shredded pork. They made some homemade barbecue. Like that to me is an amazing day. Like all I wanted to do on Father's Day, I told my wife is just let me grill. Just let me smoke my meat. I'm going to be in a happy place. To me, there's few things more fulfilling in life than opening up the grill and looking at this perfect piece of meat that's been cooking for 12 hours. And it's so tender and so juicy that it just wants to fall apart. But man, if I'm the only person who sits at the table and enjoys that piece of meat, I think I'm really selling myself short of the blessing of barbecuing. I want to invite my friends over. I want to invite my volunteers over. I want to invite my family over. Like there's a joy that comes from sharing that we don't get from protecting. And I think the early church discovered that in their, in their generous living. Because here's what I think is true about generosity. I, I believe personally that generosity is the greatest way of showing both our, our trust in God and his love to people. 
You see, when we're generous, we are demonstrating that, hey, you can take my paycheck. I'm going to be okay because God is my provider. When we live generously, we're also showing a tangible expression of who God is and what he does. He didn't hold back. He loved with an open hand. And I think so often times we look at our resources, we look at our time, we look at our schedule, we look at our wallet, and we're trying to hold on to what we've got. I don't know if you've ever tried to hold on to sand with a closed fist, but the tighter you grip, the more it slips through your fingers. There's only really one way you can get a handful of sand and that's to do it with an open hand. And I think the same thing applies to our finances. The same thing applies to our lifestyle as a Christ follower. If we're so focused on holding on, protecting and preserving what we've got, we've never got room for God to bless us with more. So I wanna spend the last few minutes of our time just, just taking a look at the, the cause and effect relationship of generosity. When we give, here's what happens. When we give, here's how lives are changed. I told you this isn't gonna be a talk about getting you to twist your arm and give to Mountain Lake because here's the thing, whether you give or not, I, I trust that God's gonna provide the resources for us to accomplish our vision of seeing life change stories being written every single week. God's faithful. So this isn't a guilt trip on the last time you've tithed or dropped an offering plate. I don't want this from you. I want this for you because I believe the generosity is what opens the door to being blessed in ways that we, we could never imagine. You see, when we are generous, I think the first application of our generosity is how it blesses the poor. So I, I live down in Forsyth County and in that county, which is one of the fastest growing counties, overcrowded, you guys are starting to experience that too with all the growth. So you know there's only one pregnancy crisis center in Forsyth County. Every high school in our county is over 6A. I think all of them but one are 7A. So with all of the teenage pregnancies that are happening, we've only got one place that's available to, to, to meet the needs of somebody with an unplanned pregnancy. We partner with so many nonprofits. And over and over again throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus ministering and serving to the poor. In James chapter one, it says true and undefiled religion is taking care of the widow and the orphan. Because that is the illustration of where we were spiritually, when we were bankrupt, when we were so in debt to our sin, Jesus came and foot the bill for us. So one of the ways that we display not only our trust that God's got it under control and everything I have belongs to him, but also we demonstrate his love when we, when we give. So one of the byproducts of generosity is meeting the needs of the poor, tangible expressions of God's love in a lost and broken world. Generosity also funds the, the furthering of the kingdom. When you give to church plants, when you give to your church, first of all, my wife and my kids are very grateful for that. <laughs> Thank you for your gifts. But that is how the churches accomplish their mission and their vision of reaching people locally, regionally, and internationally with the good news of Jesus. So when you give, it furthers the gospel message. Your generosity is the airwaves on which the good news is broadcasted. So thank you for when you not only give to charities and nonprofits, but, but thank you for when you give to the church. 
And finally, I think maybe the greatest byproduct, the greatest blessing of generosity is not only in how we become a blessing to other people, but with the security of knowing that God's got it under control. That when we realize that he's in charge and he's the giver of all good things, then it's not up to us to meet our needs. It's just up to us to steward the resources that he's entrusted us for the time that we have on planet earth. There's a peace, there's a comfort, and there's a joy that comes from saying, you know, it wasn't mine to begin with. <laughs> so when the Spirit says give, it should be easy for us to give in light of everything that's been given. And here's where it gets a little bit fun. Here's where generosity takes a whole new meaning because this is the only aspect of our faith that God gives us the authorization to put him to the test. God actually challenges us. God is basically saying in the book of Malachi when he's instructing people on how to give, he's basically saying, hey, come at me, bro. <laughs> you can't outgive me. So what happens is we get to put God to the test. Generosity is actually the most challenging test of our obedience but it's also the only way we get to put God to the test. I said earlier in the book of Psalms, it says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Man, I've got story after story after story when God has put it on my family's heart to maybe write a check where God blesses us abundantly more than we invested. I just want to share with you just a few stories. I just want to, I just want to brag on God for a minute. See, when we were newlyweds, I was making... Uh, I was making $30,000 as a newlywed. My wife worked at a fashion boutique for minimum wage. It was the middle of her senior year, okay? So she wasn't making that much money. We got married in November of 2010. I'm just putting all the cards on the table because I want to tell you stories that only God can get the credit for. So here we are. We're in the middle of her senior year of college. She's pursuing a social worker degree and come around in January. We've only been married for two months what little income the two incomes were producing, she had to step away from her job at the store so she could do a full-time, non-paid internship. So we go from a one and a half, almost two income family to a one income family. We're newlyweds, but for some reason in January, we both feel like almost weird, like it almost came out of both of our mouths at the same time over a dinner conversation. I feel like God's telling us to give a little bit more here. It's like, I, I can't do that math. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, if we give here, then I don't really know where that next bill is going to come from. But we live by faith, not by sight. So here we were, caught up in the moment of, of following God. And we said, okay, Lord, doesn't make a lot of sense. We're going to step out of faith and we're going to write this check. And sure enough, let me just tell you what happened. This is stuff that only God can do. The very next week that she would have been getting a paycheck we got a reimbursement check from the insurance for the exact amount that her paycheck used to be. Like freaky stuff. And that stuff has been happening for years in our marriage. Like I almost laugh on a monthly basis when I open up some random check. Oh, IRS, I wasn't planning on this one today. Like, like God continues to give back to us. And it's not because we're some awesome saints. It's just because from the very first time I received an allowance, 
my dad, who was not a pastor, who never has received a check from a church in his life. He was a volunteer in the worship team. My mom was a volunteer in the children's ministry. And every day, every Sunday, if the doors were open, we were there attending one service and volunteering in the next. And when I finally was old enough to start earning a, a, a $10 allowance, my dad laid out 10 ones. <laughs> and he said, this first one, is what we bring back to God. That's called a tithe. And I'm like, I don't know about that, Dad. Like, there's a lot of candy that I could get with that $1 bill. Are you sure? And he goes, that's a tithe. That's just what we do in this house. But there's some, there's some above and beyond initiatives happening in our church right now. We were trying to pay down some building debt so we could free up more money for ministry. And he says, so right now, we're also taking another one and bringing that to God. And I'm like, whoa, I had 10 and now I've got eight. Like I'm barely even earning anything anymore. Dad, come on. And so from the very beginning, my dad always instilled to live with an open hand, to live generously. And I can tell you, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done, that, that, that I've never been forsaken. I, I, I'm living an abundant life. I don't have a yacht to go hang out on Lake Lanier. But, but my story, my wife's story is one of trusting in God and, and never being disappointed. You see, it's, it's generosity that positions us to be blessed more than we can imagine. Generosity is what aligns us with the heart of God. Generosity is what demonstrates to people without hope what it looks like to have hope beyond resources to have hope in something that transcends your circumstances. When we realize that it all belongs to God, we can begin to live life with an open hand. As we're wrapping up, I, I want you to think about the last time you traveled somewhere and you stayed in a hotel. We, we treat a hotel a little bit differently than we treat our own home. You see, it's summertime in Georgia right now. And that means we're starting to get some of those Georgia scorcher afternoons where we're getting close to 100 degrees. I grew up in Florida. I lived in Las Vegas in the desert for a while, so I'm very familiar to hot weather. And I'm also very familiar to high utility bills. <laughs> Seems like the hotter the weather gets, the higher the power bill gets. And so during the summer months, I'm very meticulously watching the thermostat, making sure that no one's bumping it above a certain temperature. I live kind of stingy. <laughs> with my utility bill because I think it belongs to me and I've got to pay for it. But when I'm on vacation and I'm staying at the hotel, I turn that thing down to 65, 64, 63, 62, 61. It feels like Narnia in that hotel room when I come back. <laughs> but because I realize, hey, I'm, I'm just, I paid my dues, the hotel's got this. Like, see, we live differently with resources when we think that's not ours. What if we could live with that sense of trust. <laughs> we didn't care what happened to our resources because we know it belongs to the Lord. See, when we live generously, it shows people that when you place your hope and your trust in things that can be taken away, they can be here today and gone tomorrow, that's a miserable way to live. Generosity, not keeping, that's the way to abundance. So here's my challenge for us. Here's our aha moment. As we unpack the book of Proverbs this week, would you be willing 
to right now predetermine that whatever opportunity presents itself, that your answer will be yes. Would you be willing to say, whether it's standing in line at Starbucks and paying it forward for a few people behind me, or finding out a nonprofit that's having a struggle meeting their needs, or even saying, hey church, what do you need? Would you be willing to say, yes, it all belongs to you, God. Just stand back and watch how God opens up the door and floods you with blessings, that money and nicer clothes and nicer cars could never provide. It's a weird math, but when we live sacrificially, we can do more with our less than what we, than what we could do on our own because God supernaturally blesses whatever percentage is left over. Would you live in that yes? Would you live generously? Would you live with open hands? And watch how God blesses you more than you could ever imagine. I wanna pray for us and then we'll get out of here. God, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you in advance for the blessings that we're gonna start seeing pop up all over Dawsonville because of the people that came to Mountain Lake Church that wanted to live like you, that wanted to trust you, that wanted to demonstrate your love in practical ways, Lord. Everything else that we could hope in could be taken away from us tomorrow, except your love, your provisions, and your blessings. Your blessings are so much more than stuff, Lord. I wanna be under your umbrella Everywhere else we're gonna get rained on, Lord, but when we come under the umbrella of your authority and we live the way that you have instructed and called us to, Lord, we can trust you with everything. So thank you, Jesus, for meeting our every thirst and every need. Help us to live like you. Let our answer be yes this week. In your name we pray, amen.